Welcome to Vox Vomitus, also known as Word Vomit. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Vox Vomitus. I am your host, Jennifer Ann Gordon, author of the award-winning novel Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, as well as the Hotel series and the upcoming Pretty Ugly. With me again, as always, is my Vox Vomitus vixen, Alison Martine, author of the Bourbon Books. Cheers, Alison. And we have an amazing guest with us today, somebody that I have been dying to talk to ever since I heard she wrote a book about the Donner Party, and then I heard she wrote a book about the Titanic, Alma Katsu. <laughs> Welcome, Alma. Thanks for having me here. And we are here talking about her new book, Red Widow. So, Alma, let's have you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your new book. Well, I'm probably one of the more confusing authors out there. Um, I've been writing for about 10 years now, um, and the first five books were all sort of a mix of historical plus horror or supernatural or that sort of thing. The last two, uh, The Hunger and the Deep, being sort of straightforward historical horror. But then my most recent book is a spy novel. It has nothing to do with horror. You were holding up, I think you held it up, right? Here's the cover. I get people writing to me saying, this isn't a horror novel. (laughs) I know, I wrote it. (laughs) No, it's not. I'm really sorry. But the reason I wrote it is because um, a few years ago, I retired from a career in intelligence. I actually was a lifelong uh, employee of CIA and the National Security Agency and stuff like that. And so I got the opportunity to sort of apply what I'd learned as a writer to writing a novel. And, you know, for, for reasons, I just felt like, there was a different kind of spy novel that I wanted to write. And I was lucky enough that Putnam, my publisher, gave me the opportunity. Well, it's I, not that the bigger question is why you weren't writing spy novels to start because you have all this info. Like, because it's classified, that's why. I was going to say, she probably couldn't technically legally write spy novels while working for... You can, but it's harder. So when you get a security clearance, one of the first things you sign is the non-disclosure agreement that says for as long as you live, not just as long as you work in it, but as long as you live, if you ever write anything that has to do with your job, they get to do a pre-publication review. <gasps> and when you're still an employee, I know, it's, it's scary. That it's gave me like chills. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when you're still an employee, um, there's a bunch of things that they can kind of censor you for, right? Uh, but once you're retired, it can only be for classified information. So it's easier to do it when you're no longer employed by them. I mean, it's hard enough to sort of thread that needle, but it's easier. So that actually was part of the reason why I thought it would just be best to stick with what I was doing. I mean, you know, the the biggest part, of course, was that's what I felt like writing at the time. The, that was the kind of stories that were speaking to me. But I also knew that, um, you know, they could make it hard. So for instance, uh, after my first book came out, The Taker, I actually resigned from government because the agency I was working for at the time was making it so hard for me to meet with the press and stuff like that. Like they wanted four days to clear any uh, interview with the press. And, you know, when you go to um, like a book festival, you sit in a tent and you right. wait for the press to come up to you. So, you know, that was like a non-starter. Yeah. yeah you can't sit in that tent for four days. Hold on. We'll yeah. be here for a while. Wait, wait for it. <laughs> wait for it. Four days. Is there a bathroom around here? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> 
you would need snacks. They would need snacks. Definitely. Definitely. So yeah, it was, that was one reason. And I tried to write spy novels, but I guess my heart just wasn't in it. And I, I wasn't making them, you know, they weren't hitting that mark, so to speak, but. So, well, and um, I, go ahead. Go. I was just going to say, um, Allison and I both write in different genres. I also write horror and I'm, my book that's coming out next month is horror ish and the book I'm working on right now is not horror at all so people are I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of what are you doing like I thought you were the person who wrote about ghosts in this haunted island and I'm going to be like but sometimes I want to write about beef I can't talk about it (laughs) (laughs) right now Jen is under an NDA with her and uh, the project so I'm like I can't speak about that um, it's, you know, but it's true. And I, you know, I've gotten a lot of questions about that, as you can imagine. And I think, you know, most writers naturally would like to write in multiple genres. And what's more prohibitive is, is the business end of things. It's yeah. marketing. It's so hard. So, and I'm finding that out now, it's sort of hard to market as both a horror writer and, and as a spy novelist. So, you know, even when we were looking at, you know, how are we going to redesign the website? And I was looking for comps, other authors who sort of fall in that ballpark. The, they're far and few between. And I, I think readers don't understand it's not because it's not what we would like to write, but just because, you know, there's a business reason behind it. And I think also there's, there's probably more authors that do it, but they do it under two different names. Right. So they have two different brands, but then everyone, I don't think you, sometimes you need that. But then you, you get authors like Matt Ruff, who writes everything from like contemporary, like dysfunctional romance to Lovecraftian horror and science fiction. Yeah. And like, and they found a way to make one of his shows an HBO, one of his books into an HBO TV show. So I feel like you can be a spy <laughs> author and also historical horror. <laughs> well, you know, it would have made more sense if I had started off with a pseudonym for the horror books. And then I could just use my real name. But to come up with a pseudonym for the spy novels, we all agree, the publisher and the agent, that that was too silly. So, you know, we're trying it this way. We'll see, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Well, I think it's going very well. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's going very well. It took yeah. those emails from people saying, I bought your book and it's not oh, a horror sure. We all get those emails from people. Just hit delete. <laughs> Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny? Yeah. You want to think that... Um, that you won't, but you do. Well, on one hand, you want those fans that they say, oh, I'm the auto buy person. I see that person's name. I buy the book. But you kind of do want them to read at least the blurb or the synopsis or something. So if they're like, I only read this genre and I wandered out of that genre, they at least know. I mean, I look at that cover and nothing there says horror. Not- nothing there tells me that it should be like the other books but there's like a government seal with russian <laughs> language on it it's just yeah. nothing about this says i wonder if this is a historical reimagining of a traumatic event with ghosts yeah i don't mean to like you know make fun of anybody <laughs> no i know it was like really like and where did you put your brain this morning no. um yeah very very odd well, and it's, and it's funny though. I mean, I, what I was going to say earlier is my background as an attorney, people are always asking, Oh, so do you write legal thrillers? And I've always said, I have zero desire to do that. And part of it is they presume what lawyering is like and what my experience was. And I'm going, yeah, if you want to see a book about people sitting around in mediation and wondering when there's going to be more bagels coming in, 
that's probably not the most intriguing book. I, I can I can imagine a lot more interesting scenarios than anything I lived when it comes to like the lawyer background. But I mean, I love that you're able to take advantage of that now. And I'm assuming since none of it's classified, you're able to kind of pull in real life experience, but imagined versions. So heightened and more exciting. Yeah. I mean, so for this book, first of all, it's actually, it's based on actually a, a, a true story, something that happened, but it was just changed a lot so that you, you know, the, the true story is, is pretty buried because uh, if I told you what it was, you'd recognize it. It's something that was in the news, <gasps> never publicly associated with CIA. So, so <laughs> you're killing Jen. <laughs> so everything you said, Allison, believe me, I understand. Cause for a long time, I didn't really want to write a spy novel for that very reason. You know, every time I talked to an editor or an agent, they were like, Oh, well you can write what it's really about. Well, what it's really about is nothing <laughs> or very little like what popular, you know, culture, what movies and TVs and books to a certain degree would have you think the job is, you know, it's gotta be written so that it appeals to modern audiences, right. you know, with a lot more drama and tension and all that fun stuff. And I, like you, I wasn't really interested in portraying that, you know, just another one of those, but there were things I was interested in. And one of them had to do with women. I just didn't feel women were very well represented in popular cultures, you know, about spy work. I can hear a bunch right and, now and I will yeah. not. I, was gonna <laughs> say, I feel like they are, but like in an overly sexualized, mm -hmm. like the female spy is like in pop culture, a step above a prostitute. And I feel like, I mean, uh, the spies are, I mean, they are. They're gorgeous. They're just like, or, or they come across like they're they're completely bubble headed, and yet they're thwarting plans. And you're going, I don't think you could find your shoes in the morning based on how this character acts in other scenes. But then they're also supposed to be this brilliant person who has uncovered this big conspiracy, and then they risk it all. And it just ends up feeling very ridiculous. But I will I think not I know. Yeah, what show you're talking about there? But um, <laughs> not not naming any blonde actresses ever. Okay, no <laughs> you know I hate to be negative about a lot of that because it has brought a lot of women to the genre. You know, a genre that's not traditionally, especially in novels, doesn't have like a really big female audience. So, um, but I wanted to write a book where it was predominantly female characters and showing them as professionals, you know, represented how we are today. Sorry about that. Can you hear my phone going off in the it's background? Fine. It happens. The machine will get it. This is the bad thing about West Virginia. Like you legally have to have a phone in your house. Wait, you do? Yeah. And Is I have a landline law. Landline, right. I haven't had a landline in like 15 years, but, but we, we have still to have, have a landline because we have and, terrible cell service and oh, I get it. I get it. And we can't seem to rip it out of the wall, but um, <laughs> don't do that. It's illegal. Yeah. But anyway, so that's what I think, uh, like one of the things that's made Red Widow stand out. Like I've gotten so many emails and letters and things from former agency people, a lot of them women, saying that it's just the most realistic portrayal of the culture and what the job's really like. I just got a blurb from Valerie Plain, as a matter of fact, and she was saying, yeah, that she just loved it and, and that she really enjoyed the accuracy of the book. So that's been super rewarding. And it's actually been picked up by Fox for a TV series. Oh. And that's, yeah, then that's the reason why they wanted it. They wanted a show that um, featured women, 
but, you know, was very true to life, authentic, you know, showed them as being patriots, that sort of thing, and not, you know, sexualized. So, yeah, very. Well, congratulations. So, see, it is doing well. We were right. You're like, I don't know how well it's going to do. I mean, only Fox picked it up. Only Fox picked it up, and it'll probably be a hit TV series. Well, we're hoping it, the, it's it's a lot of work. I mean, it really, since the book came out, I've I've probably been as busy with the TV getting the TV show up and running. As say that because I love the book and I wish it had a bigger audience. But you know how it is as authors, you always wish you had a bigger audience, right? And so, the audience and it can, will grow. Yeah, too. if it's getting picked up by Fox, that audience is going to come back and go, "Oh, it's based on a book." I mean, there are so many books that I read long before they became a show and then everybody's discovering them when they become a show or a movie and it's like let's hope, let's hope. I, i'm, I'm it, sure it will factor will. back in it will because when lovecraft country came out i didn't watch the show i said oh there's a book i'm gonna go read the book and then i'm gonna watch the show so there are readers will do that and as you said and you know it, spy novels aren't a i hate to say this like typically female it's true. Genre. Like, we just don't think of it, even though, like, we should think of every genre as being for everybody because people are just, you know, humans. Right. Uh, but I will say, I'm still very early on in Red Widow. You have a, such a great voice. Well, thank that, you. Yeah. Immediately, I was drawn into your main character. Like, I just, or at least one of the main characters, the one that's, because I know there's two. There's two. And, um, yeah, and that's another aspect of the book that I was hoping would resonate with female readers. And that is, um, you know, it's the relationship between these two women. It's not just focused on on some kind of spy operation, yeah. but it really it's a very character driven novel. And it's about these two women who, yeah. thank you, who, um, you know, end up being pulled together for certain reasons and, you know, depending on each other and having this friendship, but then also being put in this position of being adversaries too. And so, yeah, I think it makes a really interesting dynamic that a lot of women will find somewhat familiar. <laughs> and, yeah. I think and, we've all had frenemies. Yeah. And we've all had really intense female friendships that, you know, and we've talked to a lot of mainly female authors about female friendships and how so many of us, like that's where we find our inspiration because it's a dynamic and it's a relationship that is constantly changing yeah. and yeah. it's not less than a love story. Right. Exactly. And well, and I just love that you're saying it's about two women and that relationship there. And it isn't necessarily, okay, well, if there's a relationship, it has to be a romantic relationship and it has to be how she loses herself to this man or she's choosing between that. Because I find that that sometimes it underscores, okay, well, she can't be a complete woman if she doesn't have a man in her life. I, I like that that's not the direction it went. Uh, I know for me, that's always a theme I like exploring is even, even whatever genre I'm doing, exploring female relationships and how complicated they are. So, I mean, the fact that you're doing a more male dominated genre, but with a female twist, I, I love that. And I don't see how that wouldn't resonate with all sorts of readers, whether they're not as comfortable with the genre or if they're not as comfortable with female leads, because I think you'll probably find both. Yes. And, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to talk to a fair number of male readers, you know, reviewers, guys, you know, most of the, the spy or thriller review sites are guys. And so far, the response has been really good. 
Now, if they can convince their their followers to give it a try, uh, that would be wonderful. But um, but we'll see. Yeah, like I said, so far the res- uh, the response has been fairly well. But I think it's not as you know, it hasn't been sampled as broadly as I would I would hope it would be. Well, well, it will be. But I feel like you have experience at this because if you worked for, you know, uh, government and, you know, the central intelligence agencies and you survived that and the horror community is better with women now, but for a very long time, it was and still it can be a boys club. So, well, and I have a question about that because I would say I know I've seen the deep described as gothic horror, mm-hmm. and I know that Jen, your horror often falls into the gothic horror, and we've had some prior authors come on who also fall into gothic horror. So, is there something about gothic horror that seems to be more female dominated, and is that like a niche that that female horror authors get kind of either pushed into or just more comfortable there, or am I just my own experience has given me a weird sample? I think it weirdly kind of, for me, it it comes out of like Shirley Jackson and Edith Wharton, where it was like, originally it was like domestic horror or Mm -hmm. inside horror. So it's a lot of times it's about like servants Mm -hmm. or being in a structure. So that's why I I think the deep falls really. Or a stewardess on the Titanic. Exactly. (laughs) It's basically Downton Abbey with ghosts on water. (laughs) Why didn't I think of that? That that wasn't a call back then, but okay. (laughs) Good, good, good marketing. Um, You can use that. You can use that. Thank you. I'll bring that up to my publisher. Maybe there's something they can do with that. We should have thought of that. Um, Maybe do a trailer with the trailer. With, with Edith from Downton Abbey, and she can be <laughs> Annie. Something. Um, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because when I, my first book, The Taker, which came out 10 years ago, I mean, I didn't think of it as a horror novel, but it sort of went in that direction. It was described a lot like Interview with a Vampire, but with no vampires, right? And so very dark. Nobody just an interview. Just an interview. Basically, right. it was just Interview an Magazine. No, I was going to ask, okay, so if it's horror, but not really horror, Interview with a Vampire, but no vampires, what is it then? So, so it's a very dark romance, very bad. Actually, so at the time, you know, the big book of the time was Twilight. Twilight came out. My book was still in the pipeline to get towards publication, I think, or very close, you know, whenever the tsunami for Twilight came out. So, you know, publishers were sort of marketing to that audience and they felt like it was a good book for that audience. But the problem was it's definitely not YA. I mean, it is, it's a, my book is a very, very dark, it's sort of an anti-romance. And I couldn't say it at the time because again, we were trying to like not scare away the people who really liked Twilight and you know, we're really romantics at heart, but it, it really was written about um, to kind of show that teach the lesson that a lot of women go after love because they think that's what they have to have in their life and they're not ready for it. And, and it just ends up ruining their life. And that's really what the story is about a woman who falls in love with the wrong man and it ends up pulling her into an even worse situation. <laughs> and I would then argue that Twilight is also about that though. You know, yeah. I have to admit, I never read it, and I only Me watched it because some I did when I had the flu once. I'm sorry. Did it make you better or worse? Somebody mailed all the books to me and said, "I know you have the flu because I had a popular blog. I know you have the flu. 
read this. It'll make the time go by. And they, it, they were able, I was, it was easy to read while I had a very high fever and I did read all of them. Yeah. And, and I don't mean to, you know, bash anybody that loves Twilight. You know, I think loving any book is, you know, is not wrong. It's good. Mean, a book or two out there that you shouldn't love, but, um, but that's not one of them, right? You sh- those are fabulous books. And if that's what you love, that's what you love. And we shouldn't have to make excuses for what we want to read. It's just that that wasn't the book I wanted to write, but that was the book that I think really dominated the consciousness of publishers. Yeah. And so, you know, there was a long period where they were trying to find books to compete in that space. Right. The new define, yeah. yeah. And you had to then define yours in relation to that, even if it didn't really make a whole sense to do so. Well, I mean, a lot of the early press for it, for instance, Cosmo said it was Twilight for grownups, which you would have thought would be a great blurb, except then you got all the Twilight people like, what are you trying to say? You know, 14. Oh, wait, sorry. You're not. I wasn't 14. So the book had a big push from the publisher, but it just didn't find the audience that they wanted it to find. It didn't find that level of success. So, um, but because it, you know, a lot of people thought it was a vampire story and there's a supernatural element to it. So I did reach out to the horror community and, you know, they weren't very receptive, but I think in retrospect, I found, you know, at the time that they did not really want to accept the paranormal romance people. And, you know, and that unfortunately was a lot of the women who were writing horror at the time fell into that. And so they felt sort of alienated. So when The Hunger came out, which was quite a bit later, because I did a trilogy for, for the Taker books. Um, when The Hunger came out, you know, even my publisher wasn't quite sure where it fell in the bookstore, right? I think they saw it as more mainstream fiction. It just happened to have what a lot of people have pointed out, and I kind of have to agree. It's not a huge horror element to it. There's a lot of history. It's a very character-driven novel, again, yeah, all that fun stuff. But this time, the horror community was wonderful to me. I mean, early on, they just embraced the book and really made it easy. And so, you know, my four years now back in the horror community, you know, they've been just wonderful to me. And from what I've seen, very welcoming of of women in in the genre now. They they are. And I I think it's like, and maybe like my past preconceived, this it I always feel like it it's a struggle to say, well, I'm not a paranormal romance author. Because I, everybody assumes I write paranormal romance because there's a ghost and there's a woman in it or something. And they're just like, so when do they fall in love and blah, blah, blah. And like, even Amazon, like, would, you know, somehow Amazon like chooses your categories for you. And, and you're like, no, I, why am I listed in romance? And it was definitely not a romance. And my yeah. going back, like, this wasn't a love story. And I'm like, it's not a love story. Yeah. But you think now, like I've certainly noticed since The Hunger came out, it seems like we're into this sort of horror renaissance and that more books are allowed to exist as horror novels, as horror stories. Whereas uh, until fairly recently, it would have sort of been pushed over to one, this yeah. genre or that genre instead. And as a matter of fact, and you know, we, we've been talking about this a little bit in the horror community, there it's widening. So books that in the past, most people wouldn't have even considered it as horror are also getting tagged as horror now, the sort of horror adjacent, which is a lot of domestic suspense that sort of right. slopped yeah. over. Yeah. And I and think- like, you know, I think that's kind of where I fall. I think I fall in like gothic horror, but then 
my even my non-horror stuff, I would think it's like in the horror universe. It's in the horror space. It, yeah. It's not uplifting. And there are horrifying things that happen. But yeah, it's in that what I think is starting to be, you know, a more popular area and, and certainly broadening where there are more books that are sort of, you know, exploring the darker side of life and that sort of thing. And I always say that's because, you know, life really is horrible for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. This is my quote of, uh, we've been doing this show for almost a year. Life really is horrible. <laughs> Said Alma Katsu. That's going on the, the next like trailer for our show. <laughs> There you go. I mean, and I've said it before, I kind of come by it honestly. I, for many, many years, I was a humanitarian analyst, and that includes like genocides and mass atrocities, right? So for like 10 years, I followed just about the worst that you can see of humanity. It's a lot more widespread than people would imagine. And very horrible things happen every day that, you know, if you're lucky, you're not aware of it. But all too many people really do have horror creeping into their lives in one way or another. And thank God for horror books, because it kind of helps you, you know, relate then to the things that you're going through and to feel like you're not alone. It's comforting sometimes to see things mirrored in art and in other places that you're experiencing. Oh, gosh, I love that. Well, and I get that. And I also even see the flip side, because all of this makes me think, well, why do we have such hard and fast genre lines? And I know for me personally, this is something that I've been beating my head against as far as publishers wanting things to fall into neat little boxes and people coming back going, we love this, except we don't know what box to put it in. And therefore it will not go in any box at all. And I, I think you, the fact that you already had a couple books come out and then okay, well, now I'm willing to cross the line and maybe it won't be as easy to cross the line because one of the things you'd said earlier is you, your publisher would say it would be kind of silly to add a, a, a pen name now after you've already right. established this because then you, you've had this reputation as a beloved author with these highly readable award books. So <laughs> but you don't want to leave that behind and then go, okay, but if I cross this genre line, I might lose readers. But I don't know anyone. I know people who don't read and those people make me sad. But I don't know anyone who's like, I only read in this one genre. I know some people who don't read in certain genres, but everybody I know is open to general fiction or kind of places that are in between. So it's just it's just interesting to me that you're going, all right, we're having a hard time because the people aren't following us over here or all right, well, people don't necessarily want this, but horror is getting bigger. So I just wonder, well, okay, well, it's not, a, it's a spy novel. It's definitely not horror, but wouldn't horror readers still want to read a spy novel? And I guess maybe the question I would is, say, I, as a horror reader, I want to read the spy novel. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I really appreciate that. The feeling I get though, is just, it's more or less in the minority. And, and I think what you say is true, Allison, people are more omnivorous as yeah. being a reader than maybe they even realize. But for the author, it, it's just more the minutia of marketing, right? Like you get people who follow you, who subscribe to your newsletter, who start following on Instagram because they like your horror stuff. Let's say they love the spooky pictures you put up and, and then you have a spy novel coming out. And so you've got to kind of change horses in midstream. And I think some people lose interest at that point. It's not that they'd be against the spy novel, but, but they're not following me so much as, you know, I'm, I'm one of a stable of horror novelists that they like, for instance. Yeah. And I, I understand I'm lucky to be in that position, but it just is. It's a good stable. So even if you're a horse that can travel 
and stables. Still a prize-winning horse. Aw, I'm a prize-winning horse. horse. I have to say, I love multiple point of views. Ah, good. So, um, so thank you. I, I, I am reading multiple POV. I like writing multiple POV. Every once in a while you like hear things or, oh, I just, I don't want to have anybody else in my head. And I'm like, oh, so, um, your book, the D loved, cause I was like, I don't, it took me like three quarters of the way through to even realize who the main character was. I'm like, there was so much going on. And I was like, the deep is the main character. The deep is. Mm-hmm. The Titanic is. Um, it was so great. Um, but to clarify, Josh, the iceberg is not the main character. The iceberg the is not the main character. Main character. He oh. has a brief cameo. But, um, <laughs> and the yeah, person who told me that obviously said it as a joke because they knew I was a Titanic dork and I would buy like anything. They were like, buy anything. And I was like, I just had to be like shown the cover of this book and I would have bought it. So, like, you know, one thing I have to say is, um, you know, we hoped that a lot of Titanic fans would give the book a try. But one of the things I found out is that like a lot of the dyed in the wool Titanic fans and there's legions of them, right? Oh, I'm not talking were, movie. I'm talking. History. No, no, no. I mean, actual boat. really okay. into yeah. actual boat. and they don't really like it fictionalized at all. Mm. Oh, I so, love it. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, see, you're open-minded. That's why. But and again, I don't mean to criticize people. You know, everyone's entitled to like what they want to like. It's just sometimes I feel like, well, if you could just loosen up a little bit, maybe you'd find something you would enjoy. Well, and back to the genre thing, that's the same kind of idea that there are people who are like, I don't like fill in the blank. And I was realizing for me, even within my quote prefer genre, I'm technically a science fiction slash fantasy writer, which maybe falls into speculative fantasy. But there are so many, even within that genre, that I'm like, well, I don't like it like this. I don't like it like that. I like a well-told story in just about any genre. And yeah. so it's not like a blanket anything, whether it's in my genre or outside my genre. And from doing this show, I've read a lot more horror, and I blame Jen. It's her fault. Um, my fault. Well, she's, at least when we first started, most of the guests were ones that were on Jen's wish list of her favorite authors. And you people are like, so, Exactly. Like, who has Jen been stalking on social media and would like to have come on and, and be able to talk to them? So that forced me to read more horror. And I go, okay, I really do enjoy it. But if you hadn't made me, I probably wouldn't have done that. So how do we make people get outside their comfort zone and push them towards books that they just don't know they would like? Yeah, I'm, and that's such a, a problem. A because, question. You know, I get that question all the time. Like, what do you read? I go on a, especially if this is like a more genre oriented podcast or show yeah. or something. And they assume that like a lot of horror readers, that's all I'm going to be into is horror. And I'm not, I'm like you, more of a generalist. You know, I go for a book that's uh, really well done. Mm-hmm. I prefer narratives that will teach me something new, if at all possible, about the art of writing you know, yes. that they do something really interesting, right, with the narrative that, that will widen my horizons. But I don't really just stick to one genre or, or the other. But then again, back to marketing. As a writer, then that makes it a little hard because you really need to flock together with birds of a feather and, you know, all together you do marketing things and, you know. We just I, I need to, that. like, band into, like, a little group of, like, misfit toys that are, like, uh, <laughs> Part spy fiction, part historical drama, part paranormal, part sci-fi, part romance, like all the things that's like, it's just a good book. Can you read it? 
Yeah. I'm just picturing that Venn diagram, Jen, and I think it turned into one of those prisms and I got a headache. Yeah, it was like a kaleidoscope. So don't, don't do that. No, but, uh, and I'm, I'm doing my first live event at the end of next month and I'm, I'm, I'm nervous about it partially because this is, this is for my romance side and I am not a romance reader and I've never made any, <laughs> any bones about that. And I'm like, okay, I don't know if I'm enough in this genre either. And feeling like, okay, here are the birds of a feather. Am I flocking together? Or am I going to be like the one little penguin waddling around going, there's no name. It's okay to be a penguin. It's okay to be a penguin. You know, I often felt that way. The Taker did a lot of, uh, got a lot of play in the um, romance community. And Even though like, uh, not a happily ever after. Yeah, I felt like, <laughs> oh. if you don't have an HEA, you right. are not allowed to stay. <laughs> right. I, I felt like I had to hide a lot. But, you know, most of the, certainly the authors, and I think a lot of the readers understood. And and even though it wasn't uh, uh, happily ever after, it was a very intense love story right mm-hmm. with huge emotions in it and just over the top characters that a lot of them got into and only a few of them complained afterwards that you know it wasn't really a romance yeah there will always be somebody who will say if it doesn't have a happily ever after or at least a happily for now an hfn then it is technically just not a romance and yeah. I but actually there's nothing wrong with a love story there, there isn't and then you say it's whatever other kind of story is with a love story component, but there's someone out there like the romance police will say, no, it can't. But what I, what I was going to say is I have a friend who writes LGBTQ plus romance and they asked me, okay, does that HEA still requirement? Is that still a requirement if you're writing gay romance? Because the question was, well, is that even an expectation? Because is it enough of a different genre or does that community have different expectations about what love needs to look like. Is it as rigid as what the story has to have? And I'm going, I have never been the police on this. Why are you asking me that? But it was a good question. <laughs> it's a, a great question. question. And, but I think the answer to that is probably the same as the answer to most things, which is just all, all in the eye of the beholder. One person, you know, there's not going to be any book that everybody loves and agrees on. Right. So if it's somebody that has to have their happily ever after, they're not going to like your book if it deviates from that and, and vice versa. But I don't think either one is not, you know, legal. So to speak. <laughs> the romance police are going to come and push your book into another shelf. That's what I, yeah, that's what I used to worry about, but it, it doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, and we've, we've joked Barnes before. Barnes and Noble employees aren't, they don't care where your book goes. They're just they going to put care. it wherever. Just alphabetize people, alphabetize. But we also, <laughs> we've joked that when we get these authors who have made a successful career about writing kind of on the margins of these different genres that we say, well, that means you've earned yourself an end cap display and you get the whole side to yourself because we don't know where else to put you anyway. Yeah. So it's like this one's sci-fi, thing. this one's mm-hmm. fantasy. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Pick them all together. Yep, that's fine. So last last week we had Josh Mallerman on our show. He's and he said nice things about you because we were like next week we have Alma Katsu and he was like I love Alma. (laughs) I Um, love Josh. He's a true artist. He's he's real true artist. He's an end capper. Yes. Yeah. Like that, and I think you're an end capper. Like where you're like I don't like where do we put all these books? I don't know where to put them on the end cap where Mm -hmm. it says. Like staff picks or yes. must read. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you very much. No, well, I'm sure I wore my out. Titanic gown. Yeah. And last time I was in a Barnes and Noble, they had one that actually said like a whole table of TikTok made me do it. And I just, I kind of rolled my eyes and went, Oh, I'm this sorry is- I made that face. Yeah, no, it's, it's a scary thing because <laughs> I'm I like, I'll do out- this and make the face. 
Yeah, you mm-hmm. can do that. We don't have to see it. it, it and, again, and again, people are allowed to like what they want to like. They're totally allowed to like TikTok and they are allowed to make their buying purchases based on TikTok. I was just surprised that Barnes & Noble was going along with it and going, mm-hmm, TikTok I, I just feel do like it. I'm too old to learn TikTok. I'm older than you are. So <laughs> that's why I call younger I can't people. learn it. <laughs> but you know, you're a dancer and you're a theater yes. person. So you probably have all the skills needed to actually be a successful TikTok. I know. I, I see that. <laughs> and I'm like, but how do I do that? And it, no, but again, that this is so like silly, but like, how does my because every time I say like I'm a ballroom dancer, they're like, "What is your favorite dance?" I'm like, "Foxtrot." What do you write? And I'm like, "Horror, also crime." And they're like, "That doesn't go together." So, um, like, it's just like my husband's my dance partner. We we taught forever. We choreographed forever. And like our dance personality is, and then like my writing personality is like me in a wig, standing in a swamp, it's holding like. Antlers, you know, <laughs> and how do all these pieces come together? Not in a 15 not, second video, that's what not, I'll say for TikTok. Not on TikTok, <laughs> <laughs> they, they come together in probably like a file that like um, a psychiatrist has or something like that. <laughs> like, a Alma, I'm file. worried that you've had to read that in some of your correspondence. And I know. Well, explain this. Well, here's her history. <laughs> here's her history. I don't know. <laughs> no, 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 it's uh. You don't want me to give you an intelligence. You're not saying that this is something that I would have seen in my job. Really. I hope not. No. <laughs> You're a U.S. citizen. I'm a U.S. citizen. <laughs> I've never done anything wrong. Uh, no, no, I haven't. There like, you go. Yeah, you don't admit it on a video. Like, one time. We <laughs> think about that. Hmm. No, we're, we're good. No, I haven't done anything wrong. Okay, it might seem my career is weird because it says things like magicians, magicians assistant, and also like now I work for a political advocacy firm. It's a little confusing. So it's, it's a weird. It's a weird resume, but it, it's intriguing. I have varying interests. And but strengths. I mean, I I think all of us we draw from our real life experience, and where we put it in may not be expected because I do write from prior career experience, but it is not my experience as a lawyer. And it's one that's more a little bit because I worked for a nonprofit that I, I don't mention, but then oh, I fictionalized it. So I was about to just say it. You were just, you're not allowed to say it. Am I not allowed <laughs> to say it. say it? No, don't say it. And we, I fictionalized it. And most people will, when they read it, they can recognize what it is. But again, you change it up enough so that nobody comes after you and tries to say, how dare you? And I always only say positive things about it anyway, because it was, it was a good experience I was drawing from. I was drawing from good things, not like, and here's how I was harassed by my boss or anything like that. None of that happened, but we all oh, That's why I didn't know I wasn't even allowed to say it. Oh, we'll, we'll tell Elma after. We'll tell Elma. We'll be <laughs> close to it. One of the things that I did bring up in Red Widow, and that is, you know, there's still a, um, not inconsiderable amount of bias, you know, against women. I think it's still a little harder to have, um, to, to hit the heights that you would like to. And so another reason why it was so important to portray women characters who were just so professional and so ethical and none of this, you know, taint of it being sexualized or something like that. And, um, yeah, it's funny. It's kind of sad that something like that would actually be seen as, you know, new thing. Groundbreaking. You're like, 
It should have been the standard, guys. Because really, that's how it is. You know, but when I talk to women, especially older women like myself, you know, when we talk about whatever industry you're in, it's the same experience, you know, where women, in order to get ahead, have to be so careful all the time about what they say and who they cross. And and so you find like in intelligence, the women are super ethical. They're not going to cross any lines. And, and yet, you know, if someone's going to take a risk, that's probably ill-advised or do something else uh, that they're not supposed to do. Oh my goodness. That's me. Okay. It's, <laughs> like, it's not my kids. It's just, we, we are by... We are by a fairly major street, and when the sirens go by, there they go. I thought maybe the police had finally caught up with you. No. I thought they were catching up with you, because they were like, (laughs) she's saying too much. They were calling on the landline earlier, and you didn't pick up. (laughs) Stop talking to those girls about the CIA right now. They're not going to come up all the way on this mountain, though. It's too long. (laughs) The mountain's too too far. (laughs) Too long and far. But you were saying, say the women couldn't take a risk because they would necessarily have to be that much more accountable, straightforward, yes. always all the cards on the table to be nothing but professional because their careers just had no wiggle room to be anything less than top notch all the time. Right. I mean, and you guys probably can relate to this too. Like if, um, you know, if somebody wanted to hurt you or take you down, right, because you're a woman, you might be seen as more vulnerable. So you can't really give them any ammunition there, right? right? Whereas I can't, most of the male bosses I've had, and we're talking at mid to senior levels in two very important agencies, all admitted at some point to doing some stupid thing that I would have never considered, right? It, it's just too risky or ill-advised, but I think men felt a little freer to think, well, maybe I can get away with it. Either that, or there's also some kind of innate drive that just has that risk-taking component. I don't know if that goes into, I know what they say, well, women live longer than men because men are more likely to make risks that women go, I'm going to, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And yeah, I don't know place or not. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly true, but um, we're also talking things that were just sort of ego stroking, right? Um, yeah. Where they flashed their CIA credentials in a situation, a public situation mm-hmm. where they absolutely had no reason to. And these people had no reason to know they were CIA officials. In one case, it was just because he wanted to park his car in a no parking zone. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. I wish that was a joke, Alma. I wish that was a joke. I'm only (laughs) laughing because pre-COVID when I got the job that I have now, I was like, I'm going to have a state house ID. Does that get me anywhere? And my boss was like, no. No. I'm like, but can I show it to people? He's like, no one will be impressed. I'm like, yeah. the agency don't show people your credentials, right? You're supposed to hide that. So <laughs> knew he wasn't supposed to do it, and to do it in exchange for a parking spot, law, right? A parking spot was even more egregious. And like I said, I've I've never known any woman to do something like that because you just know it's a stupid thing to do. We and know so we're we, gonna park far away. Right. <laughs> we wore uncomfortable shoes. We'll pay the price right. anyway. Look, we're going. That's our whole life. Um, I'm just laughing because I'm reminded there's a story from the Bible where one of the brothers, I'm pretty sure it's Jacob and Esau, one of them literally sells his inheritance for a a pot of stew. And that's kind of the same idea of like, yeah, um, my entire birthright and inheritance and blessing from my father. But, you know, I'm kind of hungry right now. 
I'll flash my credentials. It's a good parking space. Did you see the parking space? <laughs> and that stew yeah. was delicious. <sighs> it was not worth it. Was it worth everything? <laughs> and was, okay, so for this story, you knew about it. Did, was there any kind of repercussion for the person doing this? Well, no. I mean, he didn't make it generally known. He, he just, just told you. He was sitting around. Uh, there was a couple of yeah. us in the office. He decided he was going to tell us why. I have no idea. Did he think we were going to be impressed? No, you person. parked where? <laughs> oh, oh my, I do declare. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, this gives you some insight, right? But you okay. recognize the type right away. Yeah, mm-hmm. we all do. Uh, um, I could talk about this type and just all of this forever. I hate to stop us now, but we are out of time. Oh, well, this is so much fun. Thank you so oh, much. My- Please come back. I know we didn't even get to talk about what you're working on next. We'll figure that out. Maybe you're just taking a long deserved rest. But No, I have to juggle two lines, so I'm actually doing the final revisions on the next historical horror <gasps> novel. Oh, okay, so you're uh, not done historical novels. So how much do we redesign a web page when you're not leaving that behind? Well, just yeah, I cover both. This is the weird thing that is hmm. going on. So yeah, it's um, it's called the Fervor, and it'll be out next spring. It it deals with the Japanese internment during World War II. Oh, can I pre-order it now, or are you still writing it? Oh, is thank it still, you. Is it, I'm like, is it available for pre-order? No, so I don't think not it's available yet. for pre-order because it's going to be you next. Never spring, know. So it's almost a year away. Well, and you can tell people who don't understand, look at the pattern, the fervor, the hunger, the deep. If it's two words and the first word is the, it's historical horror. There you go. Solve the problem. And then all of your spy novels could just be a color. Well, they're all red something, isn't it? Red something. Oh my God. I love it. Done. Red London. Done. 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 (laughs) I feel like we got an exclusive, everybody who's watching. I'm just making that up. Um, <laughs> like, no. <laughs> no, no, we didn't get it. That, that wasn't classified. Sorry, Jen. Darn it. I always try to get authors to like tell us something they don't want to, where I'm like, tell me your next project. <laughs> um, so thank you, Alma, for thank being here. You. you were amazing. Oh. Um, Allison, of course. Thank you. Thank you to Roman Seraton, my producer, our producer. Also, my husband, my <laughs> Russian spy, is like he's like mortified right now. Yep. Uh, thank <laughs> Sorry, you to Pam Stack, our executive producer, and thank you to everybody at the Global Authors on the Air Radio Network, where it's official. Okay, did Jen literally just drop right now? I think that is hilarious. She was going to make an announcement, and uh, I don't know if we were supposed to get. Okay, Roman. Roman is in the chat right now. Am I allowed to announce it or is Jen coming back on? Okay. Je- Roman saying, okay, Jen, you're back. I'm here. <laughs> it's hilarious. Amazing. Go I know my phone overheated. Okay. I can <laughs> announce it right now. Go uh, ahead. Vox Vomitus is the number one show on the global authors on the air radio network. <laughs> it's official. So that's like our little announcement. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you, Emma. Emma. So I feel like drama. the buildup was bad. Because and I'm sitting there off. reading what Roman wrote on the side. I'm like, am I supposed to say it? Is she coming back? Where did Jen go? I don't even know where I went. It just like turned off and came back on. You went into the deep. I went into the deep. Oh my gosh. I did. Um, please, everybody, join us next week when we're going to be talking to Mary Dixie Carter, Ooh. author of The Photographer, also daughter of Hollywood legends Dixie Carter and Hal Holbrook. Stop me in advance if I ask her about running around on the set of Designing Women too much. 
I know. Sorry. Uh, so, so tune in next week. Mary Dixie Carter. The week after that is Allison and I's one year anniversary show. Woo! Watch us um, just interview each other and be maybe like cry and drink bourbon and just be happy and sad. Stay tuned. That's the next two weeks. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>